We're excited, Barcelona, this afternoon that we have Apostle uh, Collins Lomo, uh, who is the founder and senior pastor and leader of Covenant Fellowship Church International. They have 45 churches located in several parts of South Africa, in the rural villages, townships, and major cities. They also are represented in the UK, in London, and uh, it's a leadership church that is managed through 800 leaders who are equipped to uh, handle the local church end-to-end, and they're operated and guided by the vision that God has given to their founder. He is married to prophetess Nomusa Lomo, and they are blessed with four children. He has a number of academic achievements. He's going to fight me if I go through them. Yeah, you see, he's already indicating. So, Bazalana, he's been... But I must say, Bazalana, you know, we are very excited to have people in God's kingdom who serve the Lord Jesus Christ and people of uh, great achievements and academic qualifications as well that in spite of their academic or together with their academic qualifications, they serve the Lord so much. There's no contradiction in the two. And they bring their expertise into the house of the Lord. I've known uh, uh, the, 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 the apostle and the wife, prophetess, now for more than 30 years. I remember when they invited me to go and minister in their church many, many years ago. And we came to really love them. My wife and I have been to their ministry. And uh, I say to him all the time, to me, he is a picture of the second generation leadership that God has raised and is raising in our nation who have a combination of skill, knowledge, they are humble, and they are very spiritual. And they are leading successful churches, and they are pioneering where they are. And we're very grateful for him to always come and say yes to our invitation to come. As you know, Bazalana, this time of lockdown, it's not easy for the church. Things are very tough, as you can see. We are truly, truly pushing on because we are saying that the church must not be necessarily hindered and we mustn't stop in what God wants us to do. Can I hear an amen? amen? We will always be responsible. We will always do our best to observe the proper protocols. But I think it's also important to also talk to our leaders and tell them and make them aware. Look, if the church doesn't operate, there's going to be lots of effects. I mean, you look at all the issues around teenage pregnancies and all what has happened to our young people. That's why I'm so ecstatic to see our young people here, our young people in the last service, and our young people coming back to church. I have a very big announcement to make, by the way, by the end of today and tomorrow morning. But in the meantime, Bazalana, I'm going to ask us, please, just to put our hands together and stand on our feet as we give a warm welcome to Apostle Collins Lomo to come and minister the word. Come on, Bazalana. Come on, Bazalana, let's give the Lord a big hand. I'd like to bring uh, firstly greetings uh, to our beloved dear bishop, Baba Osono and Umama Keke Sono. I'm bringing greetings from my wife, the prophetess, and our daughters who are part of this gathering through live stream. Bless God for the lockdowns and sometimes the live streams that we have. We're able to watch the conferences from different corners. So we're bringing greetings to you. We really love you and appreciate you for many, many years. I know that at home, my wife has been praying a lot with my children for this time and especially for this conference because this conference is a great encouragement for many and many of us. Bishop, we want to appreciate you greatly for many years of God's grace upon your life and also for the support. 
that you've always afforded us for many, many years, more than 30 years going together. We are where we are because of your contribution and the grace that is upon your life. Can we please give the Bishop Numamkeke a hand? I also would like to greet especially Dr. Masungani Mama. Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you here. You are such a blessing to us. We've contributed in many ways in our lives, also in our family, and also myself and my family. We love you so much, and dearly, we appreciate you. Can we also give him a round of applause? Uh, I came here, there is uh, uh, my daughter, I don't know if she's already here, she's uh, running her own IT business, but she's also studying here at TUT, post-grad. Uh, I hope she's here, if she's here, no, sister, can you stand? I know that she was coming from school from other things, she's going to be joining us probably in the second session. Let me greet the pastors who are here with me, if you can stand, and the brothers who are coming with me from our church. Please, can you please stand, cheer them up, thank you. Bishop, let me thank you so much for setting up the conference at such a time. It's very important. It's refreshing. <laughs> thank you so much for opening this conference, for the boldness that God has given unto you, that it may open up this and open the womb. And I want to tell you, we are also going to have our conference, end-of-year conference we're taking after this. By the way, a number of leaders and members from CFCI are watching live also from their homes and from different places being part of this conference. From the day the conference began, we have received such a powerful weight from this conference. Thank you so much, Bishop. The title of my message is Press On. That's the title of message that I have here. The World Health Organization released an article on the 13th of October 2020, under the title Impact of COVID-19 on the people's livelihoods, their health and food systems. The first paragraph read, read, reads, the COVID-19 pandemic has led to a dramatic loss of human life worldwide, present an unprecedented challenge to public health, food systems, and the world of work. The economic and social disruption caused by the pandemic is devastating. In fact, it, is, it has affected tens of millions of people who are at risk of falling into extreme poverty, whilst the number of undernourished people currently estimated to 690 million could increase by up to 130 million by the end of the year. According to the quarterly employment statistics, QES survey released by Statistics South Africa, Stats SA, the former non-agricultural sector shared 648,000 jobs in the second quarter of the 2020, of which I'm not sure, maybe these numbers are just numbers here, but as I stand here, it's somebody who's seated at the back there. Now, Kaiser Family Foundation, KFF, which is a non-profit organization focusing on national health issues and global health policy, communities and public released an article published on February 10, 2021 on the topic, the implications of COVID-19 to mental health and substance abuse. 
Young adults have experienced several pandemic-related consequences, such as the closure of universities and loss of income that may contribute to poor mental health. During the pandemic, larger than average share of young adults, ages 18 to 24, report symptoms of anxiety and depressive disorder, 56% of them. Compared to all adults, young adults are more likely to report substance abuse, 25% versus 13%, and suicidal thoughts, 26% versus 11%. As I stand here, I, I, I helped about two people, an elderly person and a young, two elderly people, to get into a rehab that is run by Christians in the past week. Before the pandemic, young adults were already at high risk at poor mental health and substance abuse disorder. Though many did not receive treatment, research from prior economic downturns shows that job losses that is associated with increased depression, anxiety, distress, and low esteem, and many lead to a higher rate of substance abuse and use and disorder and suicide. During the pandemic, adults in households with jobs loss or low income reports higher rates of mental illness than those without jobs or income loss. In the church, a high rate of death among senior church members, especially leaders and pastors of churches. There are churches, as we speak, who do not have a pastor. Others don't have a pastor, even Mama Mfundis. More heads of families were lost, died, and left pressure in their homes as people are trying to scrap and see how they can live. Many backslided in churches and left the faith. Many pastors are discouraged. Others left the, the leading churches. Many churches closed. Many churches cannot go back today. The rate of family discord and divorce skyrocketed. We have never been together as families. For, we, would, we always wanted to be together, but not this way. <laughs> Out of wedlock, pregnancy rate has increased. Churches are not a part of that same statistic sometimes. At this, all this left the church leaders heartbroken, anxious, sometimes depressed, discouraged, feeling empty, and almost down. It is at the backdrop of this background as I speak here, because I'm speaking statistics, but as you are seated down there, you are saying I'm part of that. I lost a job. You are saying, I lost a father. I lost a sister. I lost everything. I've lost income. You are not statistics. So this word and this conference is coming at the backdrop of real issues that are affecting people in our lifetime. So as you are here, I really believe that this conference is really ticking into the place where you are, and you are not going to remain the same anymore after this conference. The bishop allowed us to dig into a scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, just to ensure that he uses this as an anchor, where we can anchor ourselves and find meaning to what is happening so that we can press on with our lives because we are no longer going back, we are going forward ever. The scripture reads, brothers and sisters, Philippians 3, verse 13 to 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind 
and straining towards what is ahead. I press on. Can you say press on? Towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your power, for your honors. You minister to each and every person who is here. And those who are watching live, mighty God, from whatever corner, from homes, from churches. And Father, we thank you that your anointing is enough. It is touching them right there, even those at work. In Jesus' name, everybody say. The first point, it, is, it helps us to understand the context in which Apostle Paul wrote these words. Paul wrote several letters to the churches in Ephesus, Philippia, Colossia, and also he wrote letters also to people like Philemon. And we know a number of those epistles. When you read all these letters, you get a sense of somebody who was free, somebody who didn't have any trouble, any problem. In fact, whenever we read these scriptures and preach, it's like Paul was just so free. So when we look at it that way, we really begin to see the Bible as full of people who never had the experiences that we had. And when we see the people in the Bible having greater and beautiful experiences than the experiences that we face on a daily basis, the Bible doesn't have any meaning to us. But whenever we read this into our situation, it is then that we begin to understand the purpose of the writings. But we, we discover when we read Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18, that Paul was in prison. For we hear him as he wrote, he said, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You will really think that what happened to him was good testimonies. What happened to him was what, that he was in jail. He says, it has served to advance the gospel. So I want to declare that whatever has happened to you is going to serve to advance the gospel. Then he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the, the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So Paul was in chains. And to be in chains is not something easy. It's something in the double side, you know, whenever you see that particular person, you know that that particular person is in pain. Probably he is in a worse situation than any of us, of us who is free and can attend church this, this afternoon. Then as you read further on, he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And they all the more proclaim the gospel without fear. That's amazing. As you read into this, you begin to see that this man who is writing and saying, I press towards the mark of the call, of, of, towards the mark of the calling, the high calling that God has given unto me. He was in a situation that is probably like your situation or probably even worse than your situation. So because he identifies with your situation, then he is able to minister into your situation. Then he said, it is, verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me whilst I am in chains. This person is in chains, they still stir trouble. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, 
Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So Paul was in chains because of preaching the gospel. Because of his imprisonment, most believers gain confidence and boldness to speak the message. In other words, there is nothing that can push you down from becoming strong in the Lord and preaching the message. If we read about the history of Paul, we discover that out of adversity, the church becomes even more powerful. Paul was faced with jealousy and rivalry in his ministry. People had bad motives. They surrounded him and were in the field, in the same field where he was. He also experienced people with selfish ambitions. He had people who, as he put it, those who were intending to make my chains more painful to me. He was already in chains, but some took it upon themselves that he feels more pain than what he, he was enjoying. So Paul in prison had toxic people around him. Like all of us, we are trying to deal with an invisible enemy called Corona. But now toxic people also are all over around us. He is dealing with prison, but also with toxic people on the other side. Someone once said, the less you respond to negative people, the more peaceful your life will become. Now, it is time that I feel, first would like to get into that because some of us, you have pressure, not because of your circumstances, but because of people that surround you and surround your life. Toxic behaviors are manipulative. Their intention is to pull you down. We already ex are exhausted by corona, joblessness, politics, and pain of losing our loved ones. According to headline, toxic people will say rude things and hateful things about others that they themselves do not mean. I don't want to tell you how many mean things that people say about others on social media, on social platforms, that people take it seriously and then they begin to take that as something that defines who they are. Do not allow people to define you because if they define you, they are going to confine you. We are digging into Paul right now to see what manner of person he was. Do not let anyone manipulate your feelings. Paul makes a very powerful point in his letter to the church in Philippi. Philippians 1 verse 18 when he says, But what does it matter after these things? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I want us to take that point again. He says, I will continue to rejoice. Can you say this after me? Say, I'm going to continue to rejoice. That's the, one of the key points I want you to take. Paul was a strange man in my own terms and thinking. How can you rejoice? How can he say, I will rejoice? After putting clear to us the opposition, the problems, the, the pressures that he had. How so? How do you replace, how do you rejoice when you are jailed? When you lose a job, loved one. How do you rejoice when you lose a job? How do you rejoice when you experience divorce and hardships in your family? How do you rejoice when your business is, loot is looted? This sounds like far-fetched. But listen to this. James 1 verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials and many of many kinds. This is what we receive in the word of God, that whenever you receive something that pressurizes you, consider it pure joy. In other words, you need to shout for joy and begin to scream and say it's worthy to be praised. Can somebody shout for joy? Yeah. This sounds like 
too, too good to be true. How can we express this in the life of a believer today? It moves into point number two. Paul was not saying we must pretend as if we are not suffering. But what was he saying then? The Bible is filled with what is called lament, which is bringing one's emotions to God no matter what may be. As believers, sometimes we miss this part. We cover it all trying to display joy and happiness. Paul was not just talking about happiness, just to be happy. He was talking about something that comes in from the inner self of you. Then you rejoice. He says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. It doesn't say I'm going to be happy. I'm going to rejoice. We, we have lost this part of lament. At one time, I was in a funeral, for instance. Because we always want to display happiness, even in certain moments. It's always good sometimes to be happy. But sometimes you need to deal with the situation and grapple it as it is. I was in a funeral one time, and a chorus leader was trying to ask people to celebrate. An unsafe son said, there is nothing to celebrate here. He fell women. I don't understand what you're celebrating. I'm here to mourn. And I once went with another young man to a particular area in the rural area to sing, to, 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 to comfort them from the pains that they were in that lost a loved one. And this man began to sing a song. He said, under my feet, under my feet. What <laughs> Sometimes, in our loudness, in our praises, we need to take a moment when situations come our way and reflect. Paul says, I will rejoice again. In other words, I want to connect this with, with lament because you're going to see it a little bit later, how it comes from. Let me take, for instance, Psalm 22, verse 1 to 16. My God, my God, this is David. How, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, this is David lamenting before the Lord. He's not saying I'm going back, but he's confronting a situation as it is. He says, Lord, oh my God, I cry in a daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent, oh God, but thou art holy, oh God. Thou hast inhibited the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, O Lord, and were delivered. They trusted in thee and they were not confounded. But I'm a worm. Then verse 8, he says, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. That's what they said. Sing delighted. We see a conversation here between David and God. He is lamenting. Sometimes we lose those times. We miss times where we are supposed to come to God and be ourselves. We're supposed to come close to God. Sometimes we lose moments of not trying to be spiritually and theologically correct. When we talk to God, I am choking, Lord. You can say that. He says, I'm choking. He says, I know that our fathers did pray to you and you answered them, but I don't see answers in my own space. After such a stormy, emotional prayer, in Psalm 23, you all know the story. 
David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's amazing. When you read Psalm 22, it's like David is fed up. But whenever you, when you read it closely, every time you pause, it says, but thou art holy. But thou art holy. Paul wrote to the church in Rome that we rejoice in suffering. Suffering activates what is called insurance. Most of us cringe when we hear the word insurance. And we often think it's a, a very stagnant experience when we hear this word insurance. And it is my prayer that we are going to learn how to ensure. But I want to tell you, your days of endurance are coming over. This conference is ushering you into a level of being more than free. Paul was not exhorting believers to deal with suffering that way. In Greek, the word insurance is hupomon, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. It communicates an active bearing up under heavy weight, suffering that looks more like a weight lifter, pushing against the force of weights of a squat bar. This can only be done in the strength that is provided by God. In other words, insurance, when he says, I'm going to rejoice, when you're insuring that, you take that weight, you put it up. And one other time, I went to a gym, and I began to see one man was just smiling, pushing up these things up and down, taking weights and a squabber. I thought it was a nice thing to do. Then the guy, the guy that there at the gym began to show me, you know, the weights that were there. He wanted me to take up two kgs. When that guy was taking about 18, 20, 30 kgs, I said, that guy is too small for me. I need that one. This guy was just smiling. It is heavy, but every time he pushes it up, it develops his muscles. Every time he pushes it up, it is painful, but it is developing insurance. It communicates an active bearing under heavy weight. We can endure or hypomone while suffering because God gives us grace. The issue of suffering has not been taught in the churches. Of course, we don't believe in suffering. We don't believe God for suffering, but the Bible is full, of, is full of the word that speaks about how we need to deal with suffering. Don't quit because of suffering. In fact, come more closer to God when you are suffering in your life. We lament and pray and rally others to pray and encourage us in this faith-filled struggle. In fact, Jeremiah 9 verse 17 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, consider now Call on for the wailing women to come. Send the most skillful of them. There is even a book of lamentation in the Bible where readers are invited to ground zero to, to stand there dumbfounded by a enormity of collapse of this once glorious, glorious city of Jerusalem. He said, call them to come and weep. Lamentations 5 verse 17 to 22, the Bible reads, because of this, our hearts are faint. That's lamentations. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. From Mount Zion, which lies desolate, and chuckles prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne ensures from generation to generation. His crying is bringing his heart to God, but he's not forgotten that God reigns. But I like David in Psalm 22 when he says, but you are holy. I want us to go back to that one. 
David here, like we sometimes find ourselves, was in crisis, filled with doubt and confusion. Yet, he would not allow doubts to doubt the holiness of God. Whatever he did not know in his present circumstances, he did know that God is holy. Here we find a time for faith. The Savior stood like a rock in the white ocean of temptation. High in the billion rows, so did his faith like a coral rock. Works greater and stronger till it became an island of salvation of our shipwrecked souls. It seems as if he said, it matters not what I enjoy. Storms may haul upon me. Man may despise me. Devil can tempt me. Circumstances can overpower me. And God himself can forsake me. But still God is holy. Whether I get an answer to my prayers, God is holy. Whether God answers me, but you are holy, Lord. I cannot doubt that you are righteous. You are righteous when you deliver. You are righteous when you do not deliver. You are holy. David also says, our fathers trusted in you. They cried to you and you delivered them. David was now remembering that God has answered and delivered many times before. Strangely, this would add measures of both comfort and despair. Number one, comfort. Knowing that he cried to the same God who had delivered before. But he also can deliver again. There's comfort. We are crying to a God that we know that he has done it before. He has healed before. He has taken communities out of despair before. So he is able to do it today. But despair, knowing that the same God who had delivered before seemed to be so distant, silent, and not saying anything to me. We can leave the agony of the forsaken one. They cried to you and you delivered them. I cried to you, but I'm ignored. It's so painful to see the people dying before you. It's so painful to see believers who have stood in faith, trusting God, giving to the Lord, began to do great works for God, dying when you pray the same scripture that you prayed several years ago and somebody was healed. The weeks ago, we saw two believers passing on and we had to pray with them before they went on. The other one was a, an elderly lady 90, about 90, some 92 years old. We talked to her in the morning, just at that time, because she was so public, she was so, so powerful, but it was the time for her to go. We were holding back with the family and the children and everybody trying to hold back, trusting that we are still going to be with her. But she said, I don't want to go to hospital. I don't want to go anywhere. We prayed the same scriptures, but she went. She left. And then a day after that, a young lady, a woman who had just given birth to a child. Just three weeks, the husband called us out of a meeting. He says, come and pray for my wife. He was in hospital. Pray for her. I'm trusting that he can be healed. We prayed. After an hour, she left. But you are holy. You are glorious. You are marvelous. We are wonderful God. In spite of all this, you are a holy God. It reminds me of old days. Emma Kai, when we pray, there will be one person who just stands up and will feel hunger in his stomach and just say, holy, holy is the Lord. 
God is holy. Can somebody say holy? Can somebody say holy? In spite whether you received your breakthroughs or not, he is holy. Whether your brother got healed or not, God is holy. Whether you got a job or not, God is holy. Whether you were exiled or not, God is holy. He is holy. His righteousness cannot be contested. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. We have cried tears. I know it has happened in the church here where everybody asks, I'm Thrilling on this because I know many people, they backslide because they say, we are praying to God. The same David that we talk about, he had his own issues of God not answering. But he said, I know God, why have you forsaken me? Why have, Why are you not listening to me? Why are you not answering me? After that, he says, you are holy. Then after that he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Although I've lost my brothers and sisters, although I've lost everything, but the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. David stands up. He takes his rope. He says, I have many complaints, but I don't want to doubt. You being my God. Oh, glory to God. This is where our faith hangs in. It hangs in balance in times when people say, where is their God? David said, they are asking me, where is his God? But he said, thou art holy. You are holy, Lord. Ulugile, Jesus. Ulugile. Ulugile. You are righteous. I've lost my husband. You are righteous. I've lost my spouse. You are righteous. I've lost my business. was looted. But Ulugile. The more you push your weight, the more your muscle develops spiritually. The more pain, you push it up. Some of the pain, you can push it away, but some of it you can't push it away. You push it. You hip You push it up. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For light momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This generation of believers does not appreciate the value of suffering. But the Bible does talk about suffering. To suffer means to feel and bear pain what is painful, disagreeable, distressing, either the body or the mind. We suffer pain of the body. We suffer grief of the mind. Seen so many people, one time I was at church and I was leading church. Uh, my wife, the prophetess, was there and we talked about this after the service. I began to see a number of believers doping in the service. And I wondered what's happening. Is it me? Why? 
most of the people are feeling drowsy. Then we began to discover that it's those people who have been through COVID. They are still bearing some things in their bodies. They find themselves drowsy. It's not Satan. It's not demonic. So Now I've got to have some come with other strategies. Because these people have been through this suffering. The criminal suffers punishment. The sinner suffers the pains of conscience in this life. And is condemned to suffer the wrath of an offended God. We often suffer wrong. We suffer abuse. We suffer injustice. We suffer ridicule. Mockery. Backbiting. Insults. Wrongful accusations, loss of loved ones, hidden sicknesses. All of a sudden you hear there's a sickness that you never knew about. Unfair treatment, premature death of our loved ones. We are misunderstood. The Bible does not say we won't suffer. For whoever wants to gain his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will save it. That is suffering. Losing your life for the gospel. Matthew 16, 24, 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. That is suffering. Somebody say press on. Somebody say press on. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Perhaps as a church, we have been having too much of our life. And losing it unto Christ. Maybe this corona is teaching us to go back to the roots. That says whoever wants to gain his life, he has to lose it. These are the days of believers who know that God is not just about you gaining things. But it is about gaining God and probably losing everything else. Gaining God and losing everything else. Philippians, you give up the right to live your own rules, denying yourself. You give up the right to put yourself first. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4. The battle is to nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You give the right. You have no right, in other words. You give others the first right. Not looking to your own interest, but to each other, to each of you, to the interest of others. That's suffering. It seems like every time if you're a believer, the first love that comes your way is not yours. It's somebody else's. You've got to pass it all, but we are coming from a background now. We need to come to our sober senses as a church and say we're going back to the drawing board because if we've got, we've got everything. Philippians verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing. That's suffering. I want to complain sometimes. Second Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. The Bible is not silent about suffering. But the God of all grace who had called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that he has we have suffered a while. Make you perfect. Establish. Strengthen and cycle you. I want to decree after this suffering, God is going to strengthen you. I see the strength of God coming your way. I see the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ coming your way. 
I see God lifting you up. I see God manifesting his grace upon your life. In Jesus' mighty name. Paul says our light momentary troubles. Light momentary troubles. It is light momentary. But I want to tell you, one sickness for an hour sometimes sounds like eternity. Paul says it is light compared to the grace of eternity coming your way. It is but for a moment. This shall pass. This too shall pass. It is just for a moment. It is working for us. An eternal glory. Before the glory. I say before the glory. We have this treasure in our earthen jars to show the all-surpassing power that is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that his life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. There is a treasure locked up in your bones. This corona, this time, this season of lockdown has compounded God's grace upon your life. I want to say, church, Paul says we must press on. In other words, do not look in the, to the trials and tribulations that you are going through. There is a glory on the other side. There is a grace on the other side. There is a breakthrough on the side. There are souls to be won. There is a great revival coming. I'm here to say, church, it's time that we begin to run our race more than ever before. Let's forget about taking back our lives into sleeping. It's time to wake up. It's time to pray. It's time to seek God. Somebody stand up and say, you're holy. Begin to pray. Begin to pray, somebody. Begin to pray 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 somebody. We are we are troubling every side. Health, finance, family, work, community, home. But we are not distressed. We are not crushed. Pray, say I'm not crushed. You are not crushed. We suffer embarrassment, but we are not perplexed. We are not unable to find our way out. There is a 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 way out. Press on. Press on.